Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we got a good one for you today. We got Jeremy Gaffney and Doug Kaup from uh, Skullbot Games here to talk about Gone Viral. Uh, I was trying to make sure I said Doug's name correctly because Doug Coop, <laughs> not Kaup, right? No, it's Kaup, not Coop. Kaup, Kaup, sorry. It's Kaup, not Coop. Uh, and how do you remember that exactly? Uh, Kaup like cow poop. All righty, and that's a great <laughs> way to start coop, this. like chicken coop. You know, yeah, just so the place where the cows shit, not the chickens shit. So exactly. With, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. So DJ, drop that sick beat. Beat drops. That's the intro that we do, by the way. We'll we'll cut out the the part where I, it's now silent, and then we'll start. We have to here. leave that part in. Yeah, now we'll have to leave it in. Uh, the cuts the cuts all stay in. Uh, Welcome back, guys. Uh, I hope they were all doing good at home with uh, the coronavirus going on. Not a lot of news to talk about, unfortunately, because the world shut down. But luckily, we have two uh, awesome awesome guests here today here to talk about Gone Viral. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Although uh, I don't recommend making a post-apocalypse game called Gone Viral right at this particular month. But uh, you know, in general, we're doing pretty awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say we just like fit, we're uh, doing a giveaway on it, and it's like uh, I, I was like, okay, do I market this towards the virus or uh, ignoring the virus? You know, like do I try <laughs> to use it for a boost, or have we gotten to the point where we can't joke about it now? Like I can't, I can't quite tell. I know I'm torn because you know our coinage in the game is right now it's gold coins, like nice and simple. I'm like, oh, my desire to rename our coinage to be like sheets of toilet paper and then you get like rolls of toilet paper like the big currency and then here's the key we call it butt coin nice i was thinking i'm, I'm so torn i'm so torn pardon the expression <laughs> yeah i was gonna say though that would actually make sense though because it does take place in a prison where toilet paper is also scarce yeah well also you know bottle caps historically have been like the fallout like go-to currency so i have stockpiles of those i never saw paper products being like the key thing right now Right, right, yeah. No, it's, uh, I, um, I've always wondered what the currency of the apocalypse is, and some people have been joking that it's going to be toilet paper now because of what I've seen, but I, I still think it's going to be the Metro-style bullets. Those will, will always be high-value bullets in the, uh, in the post-apocalypse economy. Kansas spam, you got to think, you know, or Twinkies. Twinkies would be a good one. You know, I, I once had a conversation about um, the obesity epidemic in America, and uh, I said that we can't be a country where the young people are o- obese and where Hostess went out of business, because this is back when <laughs> Hostess was going out of business. Well put. And there must be some kind of split divide between the older generation that still eat Twinkies, because I think most young people don't actually eat Twinkies, unless they're gamers, because gamers are all subhumans. So. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this is a running joke that we have. Although I will say, it, it got proven recently. I wrote an article where I said that uh, the Resident Evil 3 demo had some problems because um, it didn't have an exit button. Like, you couldn't exit the demo, which is, like, weird because most games have the ability to exit the game. Uh, you two are professionals. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about with that <laughs> very robust feature to exit the game. It didn't have that. 
And uh, I said, uh, isn't it weird that it doesn't have an exit button? And some fanboys got, like, really upset. Um, apparently. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, they're like, come on, you fucking idiot. Obviously, they're going to put it in the full game. Just This is a demo. It's like, buddy, that's not, <laughs> that's not the point. We, we know that already. <laughs> it's like, they, they equate that to being, like, you complaining, like, ugh, this game only has one level. and It's only 20 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, they were like, why did it just Alt F4, you noob? And I'm yeah. like, okay. Well, oh, I, I remember the anecdote right we always told. It was back in uh, EverQuest. Like, there was no quit button. You had to type slash camp in, like, original old school EverQuest. And they didn't tell you this anywhere. So, like, literally, you would just sort of flail around until you eventually Alt F4. Like, if you were a true noob, I don't know what you did. Like, probably there's still some grandma still in that game waiting for it to update or whatever to finally tell them how the heck to find a quit button. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the thing is that everyone that's playing EverQuest now has been playing for 25 years, so <laughs> yeah, they've all kind of figured out the weird idiosyncrasies. They've already got mm-hmm. it. I mean, everything yeah. has a power cord, so really. <laughs> yeah, you could just pull the plug. Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, EverQuest is one of those funny ones. I just got an email about their uh, some kind of 25th anniversary, 26th anniversary thing they did. God, it's been going on forever. And I did an interview with them. Dark Paw Games is the new company. I did an interview with their new CEO about, and it's just, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it is to not only be programming on, I think it's like what the Quake engine, <laughs> like what yeah. they make it on, uh, but also um, to try to like keep the game fresh for like fans that have been playing for like ever. And uh, it's, but it's, it's cute because you see their fan events and it's like husbands and wives that like met playing EverQuest and they have like oh, yeah. kids now that are old enough to you could have met playing EverQuest and your kids can now have have kids that met playing EverQuest. I don't I um don't go to a show or I don't bump into someone who you know who met in City Heroes or Asheron's Call, you know, back in the day did it um Turbine. Uh-huh. And because you form relationships in these games, especially in your first one, you know what I mean? Like that first MMO you play is special. The mm-hmm. first one you really get hooked into is like, you know, there's still people I've known for 20 years who I met through EverQuest, who met through uh, Ultima Online. Although most people mm-hmm. I met through Ultima Online pretty much just like ganked me and took all my stuff. But still, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of bond that lasts. Yeah, I didn't know you made Asheron's Call. That's a That was a fun one. I, I haven't thought about that game in a while. Dude, that's like super old school. Yeah, yeah. that is. We were going neck and neck trying to beat EverQuest to launch. Yeah. It was very old school. Yeah, me and a couple of uh, college buddies started that, started Turbine in 92, something like that, making Asher. And we're like, we're going to like make an MMO, and it's going to be awesome. There's like four of us. That'll be plenty. And then like fast forward to seven years later, and the company's 200 people, and we all look like we've been dragged through the mud and scruffy yeah. and overweight and what the hell happened to us. Like, MMOs are a bear to make, man. They take forever. Yeah, I'd imagine it's a bitch to make an MMO. <laughs> it's probably the hardest kind of game to make. Oh, God, yeah. God, yeah. The, uh, well, you know, Wildstar we did, was... Doug and I are both on that. That took, oh, what, yeah. six, seven years? Longer, maybe? And they all kind of end up taking that, you know? They all, they, content. You got to make all that damn content. Yeah. At least at least with Ashron's Call, uh, there were so many previous games that you could look to for guidance. Yeah, like MUDs. MUDs. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was playing. The LP MUD, NetHack, all that kind of stuff. That was like... Red Dragon. Yeah, I, th- I yeah. think you might be slightly older than me. <laughs> yeah, I might be ancient. 
<laughs> See, LP mods were cool. You know, those were like the original. Like I played one called Medivia, and it had 130 concurrent users, which was like insane at the time. But one of the key concepts of those games was if you won, you know, if you got max level or maxed all the levels, whatever, generally you became a wizard. So now you became an administrator. So picture that where, like, the dudes who played WoW the most, like, got god powers over everyone else on, you know, the WoW servers. Mm-hmm. Picture the sheer chaos that would ensue. Like, I've always wanted some old school dude to, like, bring that back and try some experiment along those lines just to watch it go horribly wrong. But damn it, no one has. <laughs> Yeah, there was an old MMO that I played called, I think it was called Horizon Online. It's been a very oh, long yeah. time. And uh, you could play as a dragon in that. And as you leveled up, you got more dragon powers until the point you could fly. And uh, I don't think they balanced it very well because like, the dragons <laughs> were very much stronger than all the other classes. Um, because, you know, they could fly and breathe fire and were dragons. The, they tried uh, to balance it by having them have larger hitboxes, but I'm, I'm not sure that's ever worked in a game. No, I don't think that probably quite suffices. Uh, maybe the, uh, Team Fortress 2. Yeah. yeah, maybe team, maybe a shooter. Yeah, that would make sense, yeah. but not in an MMO, not well, in a tap uh, targeting MMO. Another one around that was Tale in the Desert. That was like a small one, and that was interesting. I was talking to the developers on it, and they're like, "Well, we have this thing. If you vote, we'll code whatever the players vote for." I'm like, "That mm-hmm. sounds insane." And he's like, "Well, try me. Give me like a rule." I'm like, "Well, any character named Gaffer will like grow, will glow like an orange color, and be able to shoot lightning bolts out his fingertips." He's like, "Hold on." And then, like, he's like, log in now. And five minutes later, I log in, and now my character glows orange. You can throw lightning bolts around. I'm like, this is going to be in horribly insane. And it was. Like, they had all sorts of drama that came out of that kind of system. But it's interesting. You know, that's what makes stories. I mean, it, it, the stuff you see in EVE Online, those mass battles and stuff, like, I don't know if I can do all the spreadsheet work to play long enough, but holy crap, the stories that come out of that kind of thing are fascinating to hear. Yeah, yeah. I am... Um, I so okay. We should probably talk about Gone Viral at some point. Um, the game we're all here to talk about. <laughs> we can talk about yeah, MMOs all day. Sorry. I don't care, dude. I'm, um, I'm just here to chat. I'm fine. I don't need to do the like the marketing song and dance and anything. Gone Viral is cool. It's yeah. an awesome game. We we love it. Yes, Gone Viral is cool. Sign up for a beta and play it. All right, cool. Go back talking about whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Um. Well, I just I I did want to say because I was actually thinking about this um before when I was I was playing the game to you know taking notes for this podcast because I'm. I try at least a little bit to be a professional is um, fans of your guys's previous work, especially if they're, they're, they're probably going to know you most as the, the name from what, you know, what was previous, you know, turbine um, and carbine and uh, you know, wild stars or, you know, something like a city of heroes. I, me personally, the, the, the name I most associate is, is going to be wild star. Cause I thought that was an yeah. amazingly fun MMO. And um, one of the things that was great about Wildstar was it was an MMO unlike any others because positioning and telegraphing was like key yeah. component of the game total. And I was I've, I've always been a raider, you know, in, in MMOs. When I play MMOs, I raid. I like to get my 40 friends together and fight, uh, you know, uh, a Ragnaros. It's, it's like that's my, my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and one of the key components of the MMO raid raids is the the telegraphing of the mechanics is don't stand in the fire and yeah. wildstar kind of took that to another level in every aspect you know and uh i i loved that and and so when i was playing gone viral i was like okay so how much is positioning and telegraphing and like planning where you're going to stand going to matter and it turns out a hell of a lot that's pretty <laughs> much most of the game is actually 
figuring out where you're going to be standing to move things around. And um, okay, so as a basic recap for all the people listening out there that aren't sure exactly what Gone Viral is, um, it's it's Running Man mixed with Binding of Isaac plus uh, physics physics mechanics. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you play as a prisoner in a prison, um, and you're trying to go viral. And by go viral means beat up other. I guess are they prisoners? Are they all drones? How does what's the plot? You're you're basically so you've been caught. You you're stuck in this arena and you're being streamed out for you know basically fighting for your life. You know like if you remember like Gladiator, win the crowd and win your freedom. This is that in kind of post-apocalyptic era where you the more cool moves you can pull off using physics. Um, the more neat combos you can pull off, the more the fans get like jacked up and they start sending you Amazon drone crates full of goodies and mutations that make you even weirder and the um, and start sending you better and better rewards. Or if they don't like you, they start sending dropping nukes on your head or they'll start changing up the rooms and making you fight the next room blind or this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so the conceit is that like streaming thing. And w- what's neat actually in the modern era is we did Twitch integration so that if you are, if you happen to be a streamer, um, your actual real life fans, you know, viewers can join in the voting and vote for like, we want to drop a nuke on your head or the, we want to send you goodies or we're going to make everyone's arms giant or we're going to, you know, they're just all sorts of goofy stuff. We're going to rain sticky goo from the ceiling in the next room. Mm-hmm. And so that combo is, it's, it's, it's actually, it, it's pretty cool in terms of that. Yeah. The but secret, even if you're, mm-hmm. go for it. I was going to say, even if you're playing single player, there's that element there because it's like the fans are demanding different things. Like, I, I got a bonus because I explored. It was like, here's yeah. an exploration bonus because the fans were saying, like, they wanted me to explore. Yeah, and there's a neat tension there where, so, you know, game variance is like a huge thing. Like, is there, is each run different? Is That was like the magic of, like, Binding Isaac was, holy crap, every run is super different. You know, the way you fight is different. The way you, you know, the, your powers are different. The, your, the way you move could be very different. And so part of us for that was the NPC fans have a personality. And so if you have speedrunning fans, they're going to be like, where well, you give massive bonuses if you can get through a level in like 45 seconds? And they don't give a crap about if you explored or not. And if you have Explorer fans, it's kind of the opposite, you know, where they're like, no, we want you to meticulously map everything. We don't care if it takes you 10 years. You get no time bonus anymore. But, oh, but, oh, guy, you found the secret room. Oh, bonus, bonus, bonus. And the... Um, and of course, there's like sadistic fans who hate you and they vote for everything that might kill you and stuff like that. And it's fun, actually. It's neat sort of tapping into the mentality of real life player bases like the speedrunning community and using that to kind of guide the game design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, I think that it's difficult to create a game that taps into the community effectively without feeling um, like it's it's cheap, I guess. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of games that try to have Twitch integration and it's like, sorry, give me one second. Mm-hmm. There was a, oh, a bird just flew into my window. Dude, wow. It's all good. Jesse edited out the bird dying. Uh, <laughs> anyways. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's always like a lot of, um, you know, attempts to integrate Twitch and stuff, but... Um, I've always found it to be like kind of cheap. Like you, you, it's it's not. It feels like an attempt to cater to the fact that people are streaming rather than a naturally integrated element of their game that like fits in with the game world. You know, I yeah. think it's really easy for there to be like a hello fellow kids kind of 
<laughs> now, if, if you don't watch a ton of streams, you don't really know what they do. Um, mm -hmm. My least favorite Twitch integrations right now are the one where it basically turns into like Twitch plays the streamer, meaning we're going to vote on everything the streamer can do. 87 people voted to click on this card. And so the streamer now clicks on this card. And it's like, is that really fun for anyone? Like, why do you need the streamer? Like, what the hell are fun is this for them if they're just doing what the little poll said for them? Um, first off, I totally agree. Second off, though, the guy that first did that, fucking genius. He's like, I don't want to work. I don't want to come yeah. up with ideas. If we just have a poll coming up that just tells me what to do, all I have to do is click the buttony buttons. And that's my job. Yeah, like, the he, brilliance of that was Twitch Plays Pokemon was amazing to me. Like, that was, you know, they hooked up Twitch in a stream to just an old school uh, Pokemon game. And everybody types, go left, right, up, down at the same time. And there's like a little voting system to sort it out. And then you go left. And the fact that 500,000 people would play that simultaneously is insane. The fact that it worked was insane. And the fact that they beat, what, like six different Pokemon games with this Ouija board hive mind steering everything? Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of awesome. Yeah, they had to... It, it, I watched a documentary uh, about it once where it was, like, talking about the evolution of, like, how it originally was, which was, like, it, would you just take every command? Do you vote on a command? Do you take a random command? Like, how does it all work? And then they kind of did an amalgamation of that and eventually got to a point where it actually wasn't super difficult to beat a new game. Because I think the first one, with the original iteration of the engine, took them, like, weeks or maybe even months to complete it. And then each one was progressively faster because the, the, the system they were yeah. using was quicker until, like, I think the last one only took them, like, two days or something. That's crazy. I don't think yeah. I could beat it in two days without... You know, 500,000 people yelling in my ear for what button to push. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some crazy speedrunners out there. So I'm sure that once you get the the internet to kind of collectively try to come together and do a speedrun. I think the speedrun for Pokemon is like, what, like six hours or something silly? That, that's nuts. What? I was... Oh, I was just wondering which Pokemon, like the red and blue or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about original Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's some crazy ones. I, I love watching that kind of like the glitching community and that kind of stuff. It's just fascinating to watch. Yeah, for me, it's it's more of that I, I find it interesting to watch than I do to actually partake in it because um, I find the speedrunning community to be like a little too intense for me. Um, like I, I don't have like six hours to put into perfecting one run that I'm going to do over and over and over again. Um oh. Oh, six hours, my my sweet, sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean like running a six-hour game over and over oh, again. Yes, a yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah. No, no, I, I'm aware that it takes more than six <laughs> hours to do a thing, yeah. Um, I watched a documentary a while ago called Scratch, which is about mixed master artists. And um, like t table, uh, turntable, you mm. know, uh, that kind of music. And uh, this guy that won the competition said, uh, he, he said, I read in a book that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. Yeah. And he said, so I took a year and I did that. And he <laughs> like had never done it before. And he just spent a year doing nothing but that. And by the end he won the, the world competition. And I was like, that's kind of like, that's weird that he did it in only a year. Cause you imagine people do it for much longer, but also like the level of intensity to do nothing but that for like, you know, 10 hours a day for a year is like crazy. And it's, I, I love that kind of hyper focus. The uh, it's, I don't know. Humans are cool. Like I like I like watching them do that kind of stuff. I have to admit, even though my desire to go take ten thousand hours in a given year and do anything other than make games with it has been pretty limited. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel you. 
Uh, I think that my the extent of my focus is like I can do something for about two hours before I like need to go like do something else just to reset my brain, you know? No, I hear that. I well, hear then that. just speed run like original Mario. You can get like ten runs in. I know, right? It's exactly. Um, but I would prefer to, like, I don't know, after that, just, like, go outside and do something. I try no, to go outside. One of the things Not I anymore. hate in game development-wise, it's a pain in the butt. You run out of times to play actual other games. And so I've actually taken the evenings recently and done a... And I've been doing on the Animal Crossing train, not the Doom train. The uh, That was fun. Like, I, I have to say, I enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, luckily I'm on the other side of the industry where I'm on the journalist stuff. So, um, but I've recently had to take time to um, play more because, uh, well, I can justify through traffic. Like um, sometimes news articles do really well, but I tend to get more consistent traffic through uh, reviews and editorials and stuff. But um, mm. it is nice to be able to take time to play games. The, the weird relationship is that once it becomes your job to play games, it becomes difficult to like schedule out the time to play them and it becomes a job like any other and um i don't know jesse have you experienced that where you're like oh man i have to play this game now uh a couple times mostly when you send me like a really bad game like uh there was this one you sent me i won't name it but it was intended to be played with a vr headset and i didn't have one i still don't have oh one. wow um and it was like one of the most boring experiences of my life uh there's no combat there's no nothing you get like a, a jetpack that like you know farts out like one like i don't know imagine having like a fan on your ass as like a propeller like that's how weak this jetpack was um you move like you were underwater even with the sensitivity set to max like it was still like I don't know, like trying to turn your head in a dream. Like you just can't like move your body fast enough. And, and was... to be fair, when I asked them for the code, they did say it was also programmed for not VR. So, you know, if, if the game, if you're going to be saying Jesse just doesn't have a VR headset, so he doesn't understand the game, like they did specifically say we could play without VR. So, and you know what? Look, you can just I admit could... it. You're, you're talking could... about Half-Life uh... Alex, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, the thing that was the most annoying was that the lore was so dumb. Like, I know, like, ever since, I don't know, like, every studio is trying to do the, like, vague, have the, don't exactly spell out the story. But this one was just, like, the prophet took the artifact to the temple. The artifact was needed to perfection. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, I have no frame of reference for this world you can't just bring stupid objects out of the ether and expect me to give a shit about it. Okay, <laughs> it, admit it. So, Walking Simulator, Odd Story, did you have a baby strapped to your chest, and were you Norman Reedus at any point during this experience? I, well, my controller certainly got shaken baby syndrome. <laughs> wow, wow. I just like... I, playing the non-VR games on the monitor alone, it's like, maybe you take two monitors, kind of crush your eyes, like... You should be able <laughs> oh, to get yeah, a similar yeah. effect. No, but Jesse did review Death Stranding. I can't remember. Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think you gave Eight. it a three and a half out of five. Uh, yeah, maybe a two and a half. Two and a half for pretty good. <laughs> great game. Seven out of ten. Yeah. Jesse is much harder, with, harsher with his reviews than I am. No, I, I, I think I gave it like a four. 
four and a half, maybe. I don't remember. It was a while yeah. back. Yeah. Are you doing your out of five on like an average scale or like on a U.S. school system grading scale? Oh, uh, we do it out of a hundred. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah. Five out of a hundred. Yeah, yeah five out of hundred. <laughs> you you really are grading on a curve. That's that's pretty fierce. So here's here's the fun. When we were doing um, Wildstar, you know, our Metacritic was hovering around like 86 or something like that. And then we got one review out of the blue from one person that was like three out of 10. And it was like, and that dropped our Metacritic by three points from like a single review. Oh. I was like, damn. Also, like, I like that game. It was a pretty good game. Like, I think, you know, I think it was an 85 Metacritic-ish game. But like three out of 10, like you go spend the next seven years making this damn thing and tell me how... This game was, you know, tell yeah, me how you... Reviewers very, very rarely remember that people make games and they're just, like, chasing clout. So, like, if... Okay, straight up, if 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 the new uh, God of War, God of War 7, I can't remember which one this next one's going to be is, comes out and it's getting hundreds across the board and I put out a review that gives it a 2 out of 10, um, I'm going to get a ton of traffic on that. I don't do that because I think it's a really shitty way to run a business, mm-hmm. uh, but... Like, I understand the compulsion. And I also do think that in a critical landscape, uh, there is definitely a purpose to putting out negativity when it's constructive. And like, hey, everyone's saying that this game is amazing. I don't agree. This is why I don't agree. And this is why I think it could be better. Um, There is like a space for that. Uh, But I don't believe that it's necessarily in a numbered score. I think the numbered scores tend to need to to be a little bit more objective. like there are plenty of games that I've reviewed where I really like the game personally, but I'm like, I think this game is really fun. I like it. That being said, it's clearly not a good game. I'm just a weirdo. So you know, two <laughs> yeah. out of five. Or uh, games that like I personally don't like, but I respect what it's doing. And I'm like, okay, so personally, I don't like this game, but I think that there's a large audience for it, and I think that it's it's doing what it does well. So here's the score for that. But the funny thing is that when you were asking about the, the, the score levels, um, I used to teach a class at UC Berkeley called video games as an artistic medium. And one of the classes we went over was like perception of review scores. And, um, essentially it's like, what is the difference between an eight out of 10 and a four out of five? It's the same yeah. literal number, but the, like when you read those two numbers, you have different perceptions and mm-hmm. like, what's the difference between an eight out of 10, a four out of five, and a B or uh, 80 out of a hundred, you know, all these different, do you, it's, it's the same thing, but you have different connotations to it. And um, I always found that to be really interesting. And uh, I, I'm not exactly sure where this conversation is going, but I will now <laughs> reopen it up to the group. Well, I was also just going to add in real quick, especially when you're making games, you also just have to remember that basically everything in the world is on a bell curve. So mm-hmm. just because a hundred people gave it, you know, an 80 doesn't mean that, well, then the people that gave it a 90 or a 70 or a 100 or the 60s are, are they're clearly outside of the standard opinion of the mass market, but they could just be doing that, right? They aren't necessarily having to, like, be trying to pull something to show something. It's just, in the end of the day, it's a bell curve. You can't outliers almost no matter what you do. There's yeah. an interesting thing, too, because, you know, so much is driven by Steam reviews and that kind of stuff. And when you look at those kinds of reviews, a lot of it, bizarrely, is about marketing. And by that, I mean, if you market your game as like, this is this, this and this, and people play it and it's not. Or if you market more broadly and you have a niche game, 
you get a lot of crappy reviews. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of games on Steam that are tiny that are, have five out of five reviews across the board, and it's because they're meeting a niche. They're like, hey, if you want to play a non-translated Japanese anime game involving like a you know a school where everyone's gone psychotic, this is the best single game in that market, and all 500 people who like that game have gone five out of five. Um, mm-hmm. Conversely, I was talking to the CEO of a a mobile company that makes very large games that with scantily clad women advertising them that's probably vague enough that's probably most mm-hmm. of them the um yeah. and they have a user score their their metacritics are like two out of ten and the reason why is they market their games as if they're like broadly mass market games and it turns out they don't care about the nine out of ten people who come in play the game and like wow this is obscure and hardcore and whatever they care about the ten percent or less who are like this game is amazing, and I will spend, and I'm not kidding, $10,000 a month building up my forces or, you know, building my fortress and stuff. They care about those whales, and so they market to a massively broad audience. Um, of, most of them don't end up liking the game or playing it to hook in those few whales who will actually pay the bills. And it's a very interesting market. I, I would kind of hate to be in that market um, myself because I like making games I like and that are, you know, my, my tastes are fairly broad, I think. But it's an interesting way to make money. You know, there there is a money printing press by doing that kind of stuff. No, I definitely agree. Um, my my girlfriend used to work in mobile games, and she was like, "Yeah, there's people that will spend like ten thousand dollars a day on this stupid like mm-hmm. click cookie clicker, and then like you know the." They run their family to destitution, but hey, I get to keep making the stupid cookie clicker for another, you know, yeah, month or whatever. It's it's a it's a it's an industry, I, and I don't, I don't really fault the industry for existing as it does because I, I don't feel like the industry would exist if people weren't willing to pay for it. Yeah, I, I mean, the cool thing about you know that sort of capitalism is if there weren't people who liked that and thought that was a reasonable trade-off of their time and treasure for that, it wouldn't exist. Um, but it just feels weird. As an outsider, I gotta say, it feels freaking weird, and it looks a little skeevy from the outside. But if they're happy, I guess go crazy. Well, they're they're yeah, trying I... to find a niche market, and that niche market is uh, Saudi princes. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, they're out there. No, that is just, actually true. Just waiting to game. Well, I know Saudi there's one princes sa- and gambling addicts. Oh yeah, kind of mixed together, and it's hard to tell them apart. One, one and the same. <laughs> I know there's one uh, Saudi prince out there uh, who has something like 16,000 hours in Dota 2. Like, you can find his profile on Steam. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> I, I can't remember his name. But he's... <laughs> Ahmadinejad? Uh, no, that's, a, that's another one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you beat him in Dota, does, like, a Black Ops team show up to your house or anything? Like, this sounds a little intimidating, actually. <laughs> yeah, if, if you uh, if you go main after if you uh, fuck I don't know my Dota my Dota terms if you uh, uh, speaking if you go mid uh, while he after he claims mid uh, you get kidnapped and your head sawn off. Speaking of broad audiences, if any of your listeners are Saudi princes and one of them would like to jump into Gone Viral, maybe we'll make some microtransactions for you. Although at the moment there aren't any. Yeah, so, well, well I think it is. I think it is important also to note the difference between like loot boxes versus currency buy versus microtransactions. Cause like, yeah. I, I think that you can do microtransactions just fine. If you want to like spend two bucks to make your, you know, horse, uh, have fire coming out of it, go buck fuck wild. I don't give a shit. Um, 
But if you're like Raid Shadow Legends, then you need to die. I see I'm torn like so I do Big Brothers Big Sisters and my little is a voracious computer gamer and he's played Fortnite and he's played you know PUBG and he's played all these he bounced around as many of the kids do these days uh, Call of Duty etc and every time he gets spare money it goes into one of those games to go get skins Mm -hmm. and that's cool he loves it and he's willing to do it Um, the and as a you know, single 14-year-old, I would expect that certainly, you know, his companies have made hundreds of dollars off him for sure um, The over time. Um, that is, that's in many ways a reasonable model. And then simultaneously, you're like, is it, you know, as an adult who's nearby, um, that does not look like he would probably be better off putting that in a college fund. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not like I spend all my money on the stuff that, you know, is my, the moral equivalent of the college fund. Like, you know, we all have our needs for alcohol and porn or whatever the heck is. Yeah, you know, stupid bullshit. Yeah. First off, the, don't uh, pay for porn when you do it. <laughs> the, uh, offense to that. Yes. Luckily, all my money is currently in toilet paper stock, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, 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 I was just thinking about this. Uh, it's like. I remember the things that I bought when I was 14. It was probably mostly, you know, my disposable income would go towards magic cards or something like that. Oh, God, but the yeah. difference is the difference is, is that now I have this shoebox full of magic cards that I can sell for stupid amounts of money. I got, I got, I spent a lot of money on uh, magic during the era where it was dark steel and Mirrodin. Luckily, like there's some of those cards in that set that were uncommons for like 70 bucks now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, life is pretty nice for me when I'm looking through that. But uh, oh, dude! I see. We were at uh, Turbine when that was happening, so I got in like alpha, beta kind of time frame, and then the the early sets, and so yeah, I had three or four black lotuses and that kind of stuff. God. Unfortunately, at Turbine, we ran out of money all the time, so I sold my cards then for you know nine hundred bucks or something to you know pay rent. Oh, and the no. uh, three, four black lotuses probably that's still around nine hundred bucks, isn't it? Yeah, those are like ten grand each. Jesus. Yeah. Oopla. Well, we shipped. That's. That's cool. Give and take. Yeah, you got some. Yeah, you got games to your name now, which is pretty dope. <sighs> I was. Uh, hmm? Oh no, I was saying the worst there was uh, when we running out of money. Story there was uh, we drank caffeine by the bucket. We'd go out and we'd get two liter bottles of Mountain Dew. Cause it was like we'd calculate as the highest amount of caffeine you could get for like fifty nine cents on sale. You know, huh. you could get a two liter bottle of Mountain Dew, and so we started saving them, and we had. We made this plan. We were going to sail across the Charles River on Mountain Dew bottles because we drank so much that we had about 450 Mountain Dew bottles stacked up, and we were aiming for 800. We figured out the raft. The the artist modeled the raft, and we needed 800 bottles to complete our Mountain Dew bottle raft. And then, as usual, we ran out of money. And so uh, one of the programmers was like, ooh, 450, you know, uh, two-liter bottles. So he took them, threw them in the back of his truck. He converted that at five cents a bottle into, what, $27. Uh, and then went and bought a bunch of uh, 12 packs of beer for that and then drank all of our Mountain Dew bottles over the weekend. So <laughs> our beautiful sailing plans were disrupted by the fact that, you know, it turned into Daniel O'Brien's beer money on that weekend. <laughs> Whoa, named and shamed. <laughs> Egg, oh, yeah. I mean, some programmer who won't be named was Daniel freaking O'Brien and I'm coming for him after this. Yeah, no, public shaming is a really good way to... Uh, Get get revenge for someone taking your raft bottles. I think this is the first and last time we're probably ever going to have that specific situation on the podcast. But I'm I'm pretty glad that it happened. 
Like, yeah, yeah a good story. I'm, I'm glad I could help. Yeah. By the way, more efficient way of intaking caffeine, which we discovered, uh, you get Crank 2.0, caffeinated spring water. You pour it into your coffee machine and you brew coffee with it. You're like, oh, that's the good stuff. Then you take that pot and you pour it back in the coffee machine and you rebrew it through the grounds and it comes out. We called it sludge. It's just like beautiful, dark, barely liquid nectar. And you suck it down and your fingers just dance across the keyboard of their own. It might be the tremors, but like they're just <laughs> bouncing all over the keyboard all on their own. It's very efficient, I'm sure. That's actually how you min-maxed at Wildstar, is that that's the only way you could get all the telegraphing perfect, is to have your key, your fingers be dancing like that. <laughs> that's exactly right. The, yeah. um, that telegraphing system was brilliant. Like, Chris Lynch was heading up the combat team for that, and that was actually a con conceit that came originally out of City of Heroes. You know, right. when we were doing City of Heroes, it was, you know, superhero MMO. And early on, because the only games that had come out before were like, you basically would fight one creature at a time, you know, kind of WoW style or EverQuest style. I, I think we did that before WoW, but I forget. The um, it's all a big blur. The um, where you know you fight one creature and then you get a group. Now you, as a group, you fight a creature, and it, it felt stupid as a superhero. And so we changed it so you would have these group combats where, as a single hero, you would fight you know a bunch of thugs all at the same time, which might sound obvious, but like that sort of hadn't. I mean, it, look for the MMOs that do that, and there's not a ton of them. And so we built the combat in that to be all around AOE. Um, but we did it fairly late in the game, and so we couldn't really take it to the next level. And so Chris and like um, uh, Saul, a bunch of guys, a bunch of the artists were really good at that kind of stuff, so really good at that combat feel. Kind of took that and ran with it, and it was one of my favorite things that came out of Wildstar. Housing, that system I thought was great, and the, um, but I really, I really loved the, the telegraph system, both for your attacks and for like enemy attacks. Yeah. The, um, really loved that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really... I... I think that the MMO market, and this is actually something I was thinking about at the very beginning of the podcast, and I was like, before we get into this, we should talk about Gone Viral for a bit. So now we can get into the, the bigger topics, um, which was, I, I think that the MMO market is in really like a dire need of a new shakeup because WoW killed everything. It was like, no, WoW wasn't just the, the, the game that was people thought it was the best, but it also like dominated the market so thoroughly that basically nothing else could survive other than games like EverQuest that had this long-term population. And the hard thing about an MMO is that you're, you're dealing with such a high scale in terms of like amount of players that you need, amount of sales that you need, the development costs of the game, even just yeah. the cost of keeping the servers running, the cost of creating new content. It's like, you know, you make Doom Eternal, Doom Eternal's done, it comes out, maybe you make a DLC pack, it might take four years to make Doom Eternal, you know, difficult, but it's doable. For an MMO, it's like you've got to keep working on that day and night constantly for the entire time it's mm -hmm. live. Well, and um, if, you, if you have a 300-something team, person team, you know, the Wildstar is about a 350-person team under me by the time we launched between the publishing side and the dev side. Um, I mean, do the math. The average, your average headcount costs you fully loaded, you know, with corporate taxes and stuff, about 100 grand a year more in California. Um, so that's, you're looking at $35 million a year. You got to spend, um, just on your, just on personnel costs, um, multiply that by your, you know, your DLC costs and your, I mean, how much money you're taking in from going free to play or all that, that those are non, you need to do really, really, really well. And no, we were the highest rated Metacritic game. Metacritic's not everything. I apologize for mentioning it twice. Like I'm obsessed with it and who gives a crap. Um, but the, um, we're the highest Metacritic MMO that launched since WoW. And 
we sold you know over a million units in our first uh, month or so, and yay, that's like 60 million bucks you're bringing in. Well, roll that against the costs, and it's very very hard to um, it's very hard to make that make sense. And mm-hmm. if there is not a, an MMO with a stellar idea, um, if you're going to be in the same space as WoW, no one has been able to you know really break WoW's hold on that. Somehow mm-hmm. TSO uh, Elder Scrolls Online has done decently, but. I would argue that most of that market of people who want big online play went to other things that are MMO-like. You know, Destiny is very MMO-like, even though it's not an MMO. Uh, Minecraft, bizarrely, is like MMO-like. It's a persistent world. It's a world that you can modify. You can interact with, you know, a number of people at the same time. Um, You don't have as much persistent character, but the area around you that you care about is persistent, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. PUBG or Battle Royale-style games in general that where you're fighting against 100 people at once, that's not unlike PvP. You know, that's the, any unlocks you get, any things you do, that if you have a persistent character, that is a lot cheaper than making a persistent world, and yet it scratches that same itch. And so yeah. I think it's going to take a lot for a true MMO to really bust into the next level. It could happen. It, yeah, I think that the thing that keeps ESO alive is, first off, you have the Elder Scrolls name, which yep. is a thing. Um, but also, uh, if you look at the actual mechanics and like the combat stylings of it, it's very much modeled after some of these Chinese MMOs like Black Desert, sure. where yeah, it's yeah. more about real-time combat and less about uh, the coordinated planning that requires to do a dungeon. Because like you try to do a dungeon in ESO, and it's like a fucking chaotic shitstorm, as opposed yeah. to World of Warcraft, where everyone has like very well-defined roles and are very well-defined places where you have to stand, etc. And, um, or compared to Wildstar, where the entire battleground is like a beautiful piece of art, a mosaic on the ground that you know goes and <laughs> directs everything, directs traffic in a beautiful and elegant way. Yeah, no, and I love Wildstar. Well, I got I got to pour some of my drink on the on the ground for my fallen homies. Yeah, no, I, I genuinely um, was sad when I saw that Wildstar was shutting down because I was like, no, that was like my favorite new MMO. I thought it was the most creative and unique one. And um, that's the problem, though, I think, is that it was creative and unique. And it's like, you're, you're, you, you, it's hard to get people that are playing MMOs on board with something new because so many of them have been playing for so long that they just want the same old thing. But, but also, I think it's very, there's a really tough line of balance because we did a lot of stuff because, you know, we were half the team fairly literally was, you know, guys who came out of Blizz or, uh, when we came out of Blizz and we worked on World of Warcraft, that was a, we had a lot of DNA out of that team, and a lot of us obviously played. And the um, and so hitting the balance between not reinventing things that are pretty awesome in this other fashion, you know, picking and choosing that is hard, especially because you know mm-hmm. time moves on. We went to the rating system that was kind of old school, and do people still have the time to do that? Do people still want to you know group up for a forty-person raid or a twenty-person raid or this kind of stuff, or do they? They say they want it, but do they? Are they Actually really going to you know, do, that, do yeah. that? Especially on a game, your second and onwards games. You know, the game you first fall in love with is where you didn't care about its flaws. Games you go to after that game, you see very little but their flaws, um, right. or the ways in which they're worse, or in the which the ways in which they're lesser. Um, it is a it's a tricky market. I don't think there there's not no one has solved those answers in a trivial way. There aren't a lot of there's not a lot of low hanging fruit ways to get around some of those Kobayashi Marus. Yeah, yeah, and I think that um, what you're saying is is like pretty profound because you look at WoW Classic, right? And they're they're working yeah. so hard on getting WoW Classic out, and then it came out, and everyone's like, oh, WoW Classic. Who the fuck is still playing WoW Classic? <laughs> 
Right. I, actually, a lot of my friends are still playing, but I'll admit they're a lot of your friends are 400 years old. Okay. The, and I think <laughs> if you want to have a global pandemic, that's a great time. And people are starved for socializing. It, it would shock me if wow classics numbers didn't really spike up in the last month. I would be very surprised <laughs> if, they, if they didn't really jump up. Yeah. I think that, um, I, I would actually be, I'm not surprised because wow classic is what you get when you get wow. Like you don't have to buy it separately. Yeah. Um, but I would actually be curious to see which MMOs have jumped up the most because I know that Blizzard in general is not doing super well right now. I mean, I know they're doing fine because they're Blizzard and they've got a war chest the size of, you know, Genghis Khan after he sacking a relatively large city. But uh, they're they're um, I know that they're kind of scrambling right now to find new stuff because they've they've had a few duds on their hands. So, well, it's it's tricky because. If you work with your old IPs, there's a whole set of critique that comes with that, and you know people don't like it. Like having talked with guys and they're working on StarCraft Two or whatever, you know the, um, and then you know sequels to it and all that kind of thing. It's that's hard in its own right. Um, but then also making a new IP in that kind of situation is tricky as well. You get a lot of people who've been there forever, and they have their own strong opinions, and you know, there's the politics of it. It you know it's it's not. It's certainly not trivial. Now, it's not trivial while you're making, you know, a billion and a half a year. Um, it, it's a pretty lucrative way to, you know, have issues. But, you know, uh, I understand a lot of those issues. I've seen those issues in other ways. You know, Riot really struggled because um, League is such a monster where, you know, they kept that two-week schedule, content schedule, and that is a bear. And you get up to like an 800-person development staff all working on a thing that has a hard deadline of a few weeks and no one can break the build because everyone's in the same thing. Um and then every time you try to make a new team, maybe that team ends up getting subsumed into that giant maw of trying to keep ahead, keep ahead, keep ahead, knowing that every time you delay your content update, you can watch your users drop and your money drop. And every time you can get it out on time, you can watch your users grow uh, and you can make more money. Um, what a problem to have trying to ride that kind of tiger, but you can certainly understand how that it's hard to scale that. It's hard to make new titles in that. It's hard to, you know, everything is, tri is tricky for those companies um, that have those big cash cows, but they also mm -hmm. have big cash cows. Yeah. yeah, no, I get it. Um, I think it's easy also to launch criticism at the big boys. Like the lightning rods of, of criticism are always going to be the, the biggest, the biggest names. So it's easiest to the poke holes in the armor. But you know, when you get that big, you have a lot more armor that you need to cover. I guess yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, you're certainly the biggest target, but I don't know because I don't have any hate for any of those dudes. I haven't competed with many of them, haven't worked for, for some of them. Like the, I just understand. To me, I just look at it as being sort of a problem set of like, oh, if I were there, how would you solve that? That's kind of interesting. How would you bust out of that particular hole? Um, the, but very rarely is that malice. You know what I mean? And certainly, mm -hmm. if you're making a lot of money on it, um, it kind of gets back to what I was talking about. You know, those mobile games or or the models that really feel like gambling are really appealing to kids or others who cannot necessarily make a full judgment about, you know, should they really be using mama's credit card to rack up these, you know, $1,500 bills for their Counter-Strike skins? No. Um, the separate from those kinds of issues in general, I mean, the, what, a, what a fascinating problem. How can I make enough people have so much fun that they're willing to pay me their hard-earned currency um, to keep on doing it month after month. That's a fascinating design problem that I actually don't think on the surface of it or even pretty deep beneath the surface is actually evil. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you're trying to pre- present persistent fun. We're all in the business of making fun here. Yeah, what a concept. Mm-hmm. What a concept. And and you're stoking passions. And so somebody who played a game for six years, um, there are people who played a game for six years who hate it and they swear about it all the time. But they, it's also engaged them for that long. Yeah, no, that is crazy. I mean, I think that everyone I know that plays World of Warcraft all complains about World of Warcraft, and yet they log on for two, three hours a day. Yeah. And some of that is the some of that's the game itself, and also some of that is the people that they've met in that community within there has, you know, it's lured them in and it's made them it's made them their own, and like that's actually what they want more than any other single thing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I definitely think that that's there's something magic to those kinds of uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, those kinds of I don't want to say those kinds of projects those kinds of um grand scale projects those kinds of uh, yeah dr- they're like dreams you know making an MMO is like a dream you're like yeah you're not just making a slice of a world you're making a world yeah that's fascinating one of the um a good buddy of mine is a guy named uh, Robert Garriott um who was one of the co-founders of Origin with Richard Garriott, who I think probably more people know because Richard goes off to the space station and stuff and you know does crazy things. But his, I love to death his brother Robert, and he's the one who came up with the Origins, Origin game slogan, which was "We create worlds." Um, it's the one creative thing he ever did in his life. Man doesn't have a creative bone in his freaking body, but he did that, and so I'll grudgingly give him credit. Hmm. The um, but it's stress. You know, the best part of this stuff is you make a world and you make this thing that where people spend a big chunk of their lives in it and they do it like how interesting you flesh out this barren engine with nobody in it. And then, you know, the swarm comes and populates it for a period of time and then eventually spreads out. Like we, in MMOs, we should see a lot more developers with God complexes. You know, we really should. Um, but we already have enough of those, I think maybe including myself. So, uh, so maybe I won't have sent that, but what what a fascinating thing to create a world and then watch people populate it. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the 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 idea was why so many people try to create these survival horror crafting games, open world crafting games. It's like uh, a lower barrier to entry than creating an MMO, and also it's like I can create. I, it's my world that I create, but you also give other people the chance to create their own worlds. It's like that's what the allure is. That's the allure of yeah. Minecraft. Oh, dude, Minecraft is so brilliant. Everybody yeah. after that, it was in game dev who didn't make Minecraft with like a team of like, you know, three people and a, and a donkey. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, Legos. I remember mm-hmm. that. those were fun. Yeah, we should have made a game based on that. How brilliant that is in terms of, you know, simplicity that really lets you then go do whatever the hell you want. With that is is just brilliant. It's just. Brilliant. Yeah. So do you have any opinion on the any of the newer MMOs coming out? Like they have the Camelot Unchained or whatever. Do you think any of those are going to be any good? I keep an eyeball on it, but it's not it's not really my focus right now because, you know, it's weird for both Doug and I doing single uh, player um, right now. You know, Andrew, uh, uh, one of the guys on our uh, – the guy who's heading up our art team right now was, you know, he just came off of Overwatch and that kind of stuff. And so bigger scale, but at least not the MMOs. You know, we're going from like 10,000, you know, people per server to one. Um, right. And so – the, so I keep a bit of an eye on it because I'm interested in it, but I'm mostly interested in it, I have to admit, from being off to the side going like, wow, this is not really the space I'd be right now. And I'm really interested to see if anybody is like smarter than me and comes up with a way of making that happen in this market. Um, yeah. I, I think as a gamer, I don't see a lot of ideas that excite me out there. 
Uh, I haven't heard of anywhere like, ooh, that would make me go try it out. Um, as a with a business hat on, um, I would struggle to think of how those games make a lot of you know, how are games going to succeed in this market at this time against the competition, blah, 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 knowing all the math of it. As a designer, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting problem to me of like, oh, if I'm making an MMO right now, what's the hook I would do that would really make it feel new and fresh and different? but could be implemented and in a reasonable period of time and that wouldn't have horrible side effects when it, you put actual real people in there instead of your little bot simulators. Um, the So that's the level of interest I have in it is, I guess, more off to the side than it is being in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. well, we When when I started Skullbot with Doug, well, whenever that was three, four years ago or something like that, um, the for me personally, it was... Um, and maybe this is boring, but this is uh, this is literally the process we went through. Um, the when I left Wildstar, um, when I left uh, Carbine, the um, I knew a lot of people in the space because you know I worked for Insoft. I headed up product development for NCSoft, and so if you were a US game, you wanted to go to Korea, and everybody does, you came and talked to us because hey, we're a gateway into Korea. Um, mm -hmm. And if you were um, U.S. game looking for funding, you could come to us. You know, NCSoft is a very cash-rich company, and we did a lot of product development when I was, you know, I was the guy who picked up City of Heroes and Guild Wars and all those kind of things um, uh, back in the day for them. I did the, I did the Carbine acquisition as a with an NCSoft, NCSoft hat on, and then semi-retired and came back out of that to run um, uh, Carbine uh, with a Carbine hat on. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. The, so we knew lots of folks, and so I went and I talked to a whole bunch of uh, MMO companies um, because those were the folks I knew, and I was like, okay, what kind of projects are you uh, looking for? And then I talked to a whole bunch of my buddies who were doing startups. There's a ton of startups that were coming out of Blizzard and Riot and these other kind of companies at the time, and then I'd pair them up with, hey, this company in China is really looking for this kind of thing, um, The and oh, hey, this group over here, they're doing some interesting stuff in Irvine, and you pair them up and you get them sorted up. Um, and that was an interesting process because knowing strategically where all of the big publishers were going, because you'd ask them, hey, what kind of portfolio do you want, meant that you could then make a startup that was targeted. You know, you'd make a startup where it's like, hey, I knew that four different Chinese companies were looking for a MMO on mobile in China by Western developers to compete with this one particular title that was owning the market. And so if you were to make an MMO just targeted like that, you would immediately have four very big companies bidding for you. Um, it seems like a very smart way to do a startup knowing that kind of landscape versus, you know, hey, we're four kids coming out of college making turbine because we can't get real jobs. And so we're going to make a company that, you know, being idiots will probably <laughs> fail. But at least then we can go get real jobs because we'll have fake titles from our company, which right. was kind of how turbine started. So that was a brilliant strategy. Get to know the whole landscape, do something right for it. And we didn't do that. Um, we're not making a mobile MMO for China um, right now. Um because the other exercise we did was you analyze, you know, hey, we had the highest Metacritic game since WoW, and it did, you know, break even-ish numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So where are the areas that have where if people are enjoying the game, you know, by review scores, where's the area that where, that people where those games actually make money? Um, and if you run the analysis, you pull all the data out of Steam, you pull the uh, data out of EDAR, you pull all the data you can get, and you run um, uh, correlations on it, you find out that there's a couple areas where good games do really freaking well. Um, indie games on PC do really, like the good games do very well. Bad games tend to fail, good games tend to succeed. Um, mm -hmm. Mobile's the opposite. You would be way better off 
with much worse review scores and a really high marketing, marketing, marketing affects how well your mobile game does about four times as much as your game quality does. Really? Um, wow. And so you'd be way better off making a crappy game, but having a really good publisher and a really good marketing team and all that kind of stuff. That ain't the business I want to be in. You know, I'm not really good at marketing games, in case you missed that during Wildstar. Um, but the <laughs> but I really like making games, and I understand the making games. And so part of the reason where, where we're at is because um, we love the roguelike space. We've been watching the roguelike space for freaking ever as players, and we watch the streams, and we watch YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. And we love this genre. It's a really fun genre. Um, and it's the kind of thing we can make, and it's the kind of thing we that we know well and – games you know the market is really punishing of shitty games and the market is rewarding for good games um way more at about three times the rate of if you just marketed a lot and so yeah, that's um, fascinating the outcome of that is i, I mean this isn't a business pocket i could just soliloquize on that for a while. to me it was really fascinating the areas that are strong or weak on all that kind of fronts or how you want to do it is it's, i find it really interesting um but i also know the danger you kind of alluded to it before uh, you know, with the speedrunning community, everything is super interesting when you really dig into it. But it also cannot be that interesting for people who don't give a crap. So uh, I'll respect that. Anyway, soliloquy over. And the short form is we're making this kind of thing because we love this, this genre. And on top of that, it turns out that if you make a good game, the market doesn't necessarily kick you in the face for it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that. Um, sorry, just trying to process. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, but I, I think it's interesting what you're saying about wanting to focus on on this because of the like the reward for investment time slash cost. Like that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and, I mean, um, you don't have to do that in a small company. You can just make what the hell you feel like making and see if it works or not too. But isn't it? I don't know. The more thinking you can do in advance, isn't that smart? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean thinking is is cool. That's what the smart <laughs> kids do. That's what I've been told. Um, well, once you're once you're in the industry for a little while, right? This is this is our job. This is what we do for a living. If you are, I'm clearly not going to work on a game that I don't think is cool and don't think is fun. But this is how I pay the bills. So I'm also not going to work on a game that statistically looks like it's not going to earn any money. It has to be both, you know? Right. No, that makes sense. So hmm. th- that's and th- th- is that what kind of because I mean, my, my my question before uh, we finished was going to be, you know, what what was the decision making behind specifically gone viral? Why did you decide to go with a new company, smaller? I'm guessing it's probably a smaller team than you know Wildstar. Yeah, well, we're not 350 people. Um, the we have about three core people, and then we have contracted about 10 or 15 different people, um, uh, as well for stuff like you know doing art and doing various things we're not good at, like audio and that sort of stuff. And so mm-hmm. we're definitely smaller scale than like 350. Um, mm-hmm. The and and our thinking was a you know love a game. I love this kind of game, and I love it in two ways. One is as a gamer, I played I don't know how many hundreds of hours of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon and Slay the Spire and pretty much every new one that comes out. Um, but also from a coding standpoint, like Doug and I really like the stuff like procedurally generating dungeons and that kind of thing. It's just, it's geeked us up for a long time. We've studied it for a long time. My original coding, I first learned to code because I took the source code for NetHack and was like, I want to add stuff to this. And so I went and learned how to code so I could go modify NetHack um, and Omega and Larn and Rogue. You know, the Rogue-like. <laughs> there was a game called Rogue back in the day. I know, yeah. right? It's go crazy. The, um, and so 
so it's a combination of love and, you know, hey, this is what we do for a business. And this seems like, you know, this isn't an area. There's other games I could love that wouldn't make any damn money. Um, I would love to make a Twitch Place Pokemon type thing that just went really blue sky with like, hey, if you were to make a game with this Ouija board hive mind thing in from, you know, for scratch, it was had fun elements. You could do some really cool design stuff with that. I don't know how you'd make any money off it, but it'd be it'd be really fun going broke doing that. You know, you, yeah. you, you do some really radical stuff with that. Yeah, that's a, I love that 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 phrase. It's you can have a lot of fun going broke doing that. <laughs> that's fun. There's a um another piece of that is um the Twitch integration. Twitch integration for us to an extent, um, it's fun. You know, it's in 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 the thing of the game. I added it not quite on a whim, but the you know I added it pretty rapidly to put in so um, your viewers can vote. And they're like, hey, we want to you know drop nuclear bombs in your head, or we want to you know shrink everybody in the room down to itty bitty minuscule size, or make everything go hyperspeed. Um, the, it's both fun, but also, um, people, I don't know about you, but I tend to buy my games now by watching people stream them and watching YouTubers. Mm -hmm. Um, the, a lot of it now is people I like that I can see enjoying it in real time. That is as compelling. That's more compelling than any banner ad I ever saw in my life, regardless of how buxom the wench is that's on the banner. (laughs) Um, I mean, I click on it. I won't yeah. buy it, but I'll click when, on when it. When people listen to you, you know, they respect your opinion because they've heard you over time, you know, or they consume the content that you generate um, yeah. because they trust you and they trust you not to be a corporate shill. Um, they trust you not to have been bribed into liking a game or whatever. Oh, are you have. talking about me specifically? Because I'm a corporate shill for sure. Oh, well, shit. Just kidding. <laughs> Just now, kidding. Welcome to the party. In that case, I will have no, to. Here's, the, thing that's inter- here's the interesting thing about uh, content creation, you know, when you're talking about all this stuff is that. People don't see the years that goes into the like the creation part, the 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 part before they get famous, like the 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 building and stuff. Because, like, very very rarely is it just someone like like you know PewDiePie was streaming for like six years before he yeah. like, got anyone to play attention, yeah. and like you have to like so I I I will frequently launch a new series on uh, Dread Central or Dread XP depending on which one I'm working on, and it's like you you put your first article out and you get like ten people to notice. And I'm like, yep. dope, ten people. But when you're first starting, you're like, only ten people, and it's like, yeah. And then, and then you have eleven, and then you have twelve, and you just kind of have to keep building. And and that that kind of that that you, you like I said, you don't when you see PewDiePie now, and he's got his millions of dollars and his hundreds of zillions of fans. You don't see the six years of him like sitting in his basement, being like, I I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that and, game creation is, is very similar because, you know, like front-facing the audience, the, the players see the end result. They see yeah. gone viral when it's in front of them. They don't see you guys, like, sitting in a basement, you know, in your in your underwear being like, I, I, I don't know, may, maybe we put bombs in? What would that do? <laughs> <laughs> the, it, it's, there's a... You always see the duck on the surface of the thing, not the little, you know, feet paddling underneath the water is for damn sure. I, I yeah. can do the streaming thing. Like, I, I can't emote that. I, the energy it takes on screen is crazy, and then the energy it takes off stream, off screen is crazy. I have friends who have gone and did that, you know, went from AAA into doing that kind of stuff and to some moderate or even more than moderate success. And um, holy crap, is it a lot of work, both for actually making the content in the moment, but then also all the behind-the-scenes stuff is freaking ridiculous the, uh, I mean, ideally the the plan is to get famous enough that you then hire other people and make them do the work and then you just manage them and that's the dream 
that is absolutely i think that is the end goal for all of us yeah. <laughs> my end goal is to get enough money that I can pay other people to make me money. That sounds nice. Also, let's not, let's not call it the dream. Let's call it the fantasy. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like, when did I get to the point in my life where I need to work forever until I die? That's awful. Uh, who well, signed up for this? No one. There's a class of problems in game design that I refer to as hot tub problems. Because what I'll say when we're debating, you'll be debating something. Well, my God, if... 400,000 people do thing X, that's going to cause the server to lag and blah, blah, blah. And, the, um, and the, that class of problems are hot tub problems. It's like, look, that's going to happen about three years after launch. By that time, if we have enough people to do that, we'll be in hot tubs in Tahiti you know, with supermodels yeah. while our interns are off there fixing the actual game. So like, why don't we leave it to the interns? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have 400,000 people doing the same thing at the same time, you have a problem of success. Yes. You figure that out. Yes. You'll have more resources at that time than when it's three of you in a bunker trying to fix it. Yeah. The um, of course, and then you end up making some dumb decision by doing that, and people afterwards are like, "How did they not see that four hundred thousand people clicking on this button was going to lag everything out?" Those freaking yeah. idiots. And you're like, "I don't care. I'm in my hot tub." I'm in my hot tub. Yeah. No, I wait. Got... Wrong answer. I know. I uh, Jesse, what do you got? You got any questions so far? Uh, no, not really. Uh. Jessica's question is, is, how can that Gaffney guy yap for so long? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of um, Binding of Isaac, uh, and, you know, Gone Viral looks really dope. Uh, I definitely entered uh, the Dread Central giveaway, so wish me luck. Oh, uh, I, I, have a code, <laughs> I, have a code, I have a code for you. I didn't know that you didn't, I didn't send it to you yet. Uh, Shit. Dope. Um, I, I got like a million things going on Maybe right he knew, he's just trying to get two of them now. Yeah. Oh well, man. Well, we have like, we have like six for the the to the play with within the studio. So well, now you have five. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, also, to, right I mean, if, do you guys if, do you guys need gone viral codes? Do you guys have gone viral codes yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we got them. And if you want, I mean, feel free to let your um, uh, let any of the folks out there know that uh, you know pop on our Discord, uh, which probably is a URL that looks like somebody slammed their face into a keyboard. The uh, pop on our Discord and uh, after you've signed up for beta for us, you, know, you can sign up on skullbotgames.com. Um, uh, let us know that you all sent us and uh, you know that you've sent people over that you know, Dread XP is uh, is where it's at, and we'll uh, prioritize folks in the beta list. We've been cramming oh. people in the beta pretty frequently recently. You know, we're in closed beta, invite only beta, but um, we just we, we crave feedback. And this era, side note, side note amongst other side notes. I said it was freaking awesome as a dev because watching folks stream, even if they're just streaming their cat, you know, the fact that we can pop into the and watch a stream and watch them and play and watch them struggle and watch people survive and have a good time and, you know, watch what their crowd likes if they have viewers, God forbid. Um, that's a freaking awesome time as a dev. It's so much better than just like pulling the analytics off of our little analytics gatherer and, you know, seeing that kind of stuff live. And so, um, A, we're wrapping up the beta um, and B, pop on our Discord, say that uh, DreadXP sent you. Um, and uh, Doug will get you prioritized in the beta list because I make him do all the work. I appreciate that. That's great. Um, guys, uh, we got to wrap up here pretty soon because I have more work calls because I never get to sleep. Um, oh, yeah, I know, right? It's it's like all these... I didn't I didn't start writing about video games to do work, goddammit. <laughs> like, I... This is ridiculous. Whoever, like... I just wanted to make dick jokes on the internet about fucking Friday the 13th and shit. 
all of a sudden I'm working. I started as a film critic, um, which was uh, the worst. I, I, I think that no one understands just how many shitty horror movies are out there. Oh so I was writing for Dread Central. It was like, um, basically the way I got my job, this is a good story, is um, I walked into the owner's uh, apartment because we worked uh, on a different thing together. And he was like, I'm tired of all this shit. And this was like right when found footage was happening, right? So like right after Paranormal Activity. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they're all, it's all found footage shit. Everything's found footage. It's all shit. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed the found footage shit, like, because I I was uh, very drunk for that 10 years. And uh, I was like, just give it to me. And so he handed me this pile of screeners and he was like, fucking take it. I don't want it. And uh, I I was reviewing shitty found footage. And I don't know how I got from the guy that was like, I'll take your worst found footage and I will review it and I will take it seriously to uh, the dude who's now running a video game website. Many twists and turns along the way. But uh, you never really know. It's like what you were saying with the, the four people trying to make assurance call out of college because you, you wanted to you know, make a company so you could have real titles. You never fucking know where it's going to lead. I mean, I, I, I bet know. you when you graduated from the school of hard knocks or wherever you went uh, that you wouldn't think that you'd be making gone viral now in your... I don't know, 90s, your 80s, 90s. Yes, I think I'm 403 or something. Yeah, when 900 years old, you reach. Look as good, you will not. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, look look that good, I don't. (laughs) I got a face for radio. That's funny. Well, you know, you got a face for podcasting. Luckily, that's what this is. There you go. Um, I'm dating myself. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so, uh, Gone Viral, it's a roguelike, I played it, uh, a bunch for the last couple days to prepare for this, and I really enjoyed it, uh, I was surprised with how polished it is, despite being in beta, and, uh, I really liked a lot of the mutators, like, the, the big arms, like, you know, you increase your range by having bigger arms, and I thought that was fun, and, uh, there's a lot of, like, you know, it's, when, when you hear physics-based combat, you, you get the immediate sense that it's gonna be either, either, Overly complicated or wonky to the point where it's not satisfying. Yeah. And uh, but it, you you hit a really good middle ground where uh, the the physics were always a part of it, which leads to some unpredictable results if you're not paying attention. Uh, but well, it it the design mantra for that was interesting, which is that when you hit an enemy, they become your projectile. You know, look at all the massive stuff Binding Isaac did with like the tears you shoot. Now they're bigger and they glow and they have spikes and they fly off and they turn into laser beams or knives or whatever. Um, our, our design challenge there was like, okay, what if you have a melee game? How interesting can you really make stuff? And the physics, physics where you hit an enemy and effectively they're now your projectile, you know, you hit them into another person and, hey, pinball, and the crowd gets really excited. And, ooh, pinball kill or trap kill. Mm-hmm. Positioning mattering in that has been a really fun design space. It's a, you asked a really good question about three and a half hours ago which about, you know, the, <laughs> the correlation between Wildstar's positioning type combat and, you know, well, what's that like now in a single player roguelike, you know, there's a crossover there. That's a really good insight, actually, that I didn't ever respond to because I yapped about too many other things. But the um, it was it's been a really fun space for us to play with because I, I'm sure it's been done before. Everything's been done for. I couldn't tell you who did it before. Um and the fact that you're knocking all these guys around in all this crazy stuff and then the fans react to it is a it's a fun design synergy, you know? It sort of makes mm-hmm. sense in streaming. You did something excited, the fans get geeked up. Oh, you pulled off a cool physics combo and the fans get geeked up. 
those synergies are really fun. You know, it's, it's it's neat to be able to design around it, and it's neat to do the Isaac thing. What they are so brilliant about is all that stuff adding up so that everything gets super crazy by the end of a run or combat to combat. You know, yeah, that was it brilliant design. So simple, part. and then it ends so crazy. Right, and being able, yeah, being able to riff on that in a new way by doing it with the physics stuff is, it's fun. You know, it's, as a designer, it's fun. As a gamer, yeah. it's fun. I will say that when I first started playing, it was like, oh, this is Binding of Isaac. And then the more I played, I was like, oh, no, it's not. And like, that yeah. was a good experience, you know? Because I feel like it's immediately graspable, which is a very hard concept to teach um, game designers, especially indie ones or new ones, is like, how do you make a game that's immediately graspable? Everyone has yeah. their dream project, and when you get into the designer's headspace, I'm sure it's just as cool in their head as it is, if, I mean, if you can read their brains and and copy their their hands and all that stuff but it's like to make a game that's immediately tr translates immediately into gameplay is, is very very difficult and you guys did a great job with it i was never confused as to like what was going on and every time i learned something new it, it felt very natural like when the bombs they blow up the floor i was like oh that's a thing i didn't know this game was doing yeah <laughs> like that's cool it's neat doing that, like especially the synergies you get over time you know are interesting with that and also it's mm -hmm. fun mucking with the meta um if you see a spike chest and there's a heart on the ground, you can knock the heart into it to pay the price for you. Or you can knock an enemy into it to knock pay the price for you. Knock an enemy into it, exactly. Yeah, that and then like... when you do that, you figure out, oh, wait, there's an enemy here in the med lab, and there's this giant sticky arm machine that's going to like pull a life force out of you and inject you with a new mutation. Well, guess what? You knock an enemy into that using the physics, and now it pulls his life force out. He now gets giant arms or you know whatever the mutation was, and now you can kill him. But he has giant arms while you're killing him, and he's now going to drop that on the floor. Like, that's really fun meta, like, yeah. design-wise, that, that feels clean to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, that's the meta that a lot of these games are missing when they're just going for the straight mechanics, is that they forget that you have to have, like, interesting interactions like that. That's, like, most of what Binding of Isaac is, is, like, figuring out the weird, interesting interactions. Yeah, it goes back to NetHack, where it's like... I've learned I can pick up a cockatrice that petrifies people. I can pick up its corpse and hit people, and now I'll petrify them. And now I fell down the stairs, and it landed on me, and I'm petrifying myself. And I now have 30 turns to go before I'm going to turn into a statue. Like, that cascading synergy thing is just – it's just so fun when it is well executed. And so we're doing our yeah. best to do a well-executed job of it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool game, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing where it goes. Do you guys uh, – have anything you want to say about where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find more info about the game? Do your pitch. Doug, sing a, sing the song of our people. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, step one, if you're interested in Gone Viral, uh, check out Gone Viral on Steam. Uh, follow us there. Give us a wish list. That would be awesome. Uh, second, as Jeremy already mentioned, you can go to skullbotgames.com or actually even goneviralgame.com. Either way, they'll go to the same place. Uh, and you can sign up for our beta there. Also, from there, you'll find links to our Discord, where you can see all of our check-ins. We try and keep everything out in the public. You can chat with us. You can apply social pressure to try and convince us to let you into the beta early. <laughs> um, we are on Twitter. I believe we're just Skullbot Games on Twitter. I don't think it's anything interesting. Yeah, we're just Skullbot Ga at Skullbot Games on Twitter. Also on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm like in my 40s. I'm too busy being on my AOL account using dial-up to go get my email. I don't even know what this Twitter thing is. Yeah, you wow. get on Skype, it has the AOL Instant Messenger, like, door <laughs> opening sound. God, that's old school. <laughs> yeah. Got hell. And uh, as always, you can go and sign my change.org petition to uh, force Jeremy to make uh, Wildstar 2. Oh, oh there you go, baby. 
if we can get a uh, hundred thousand people to sign up, then maybe we'll get them to make it. Who knows? I'm pretty well, sure Jeremy doesn't own the rights to the name Wildstar. <laughs> really? Who owns Wildstar now? I mean, NCSoft owns Wildstar. Say that again? NCSoft owns Wildstar. That is an NCSoft product. Right, because you walked away before it was NCSofted, right? Or well, not after, no, before it was closed. No, I was, I was asking if you walked away before it closed. You said something about that before, right? The I left... I, I left about actually about four months after we had launched the... Um, uh, the so relatively early in the process, Doug was there for longer through like the conversion to free to play and that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Um, I remember that. That must be a nightmare, by the way, to try to do that. Well, it's, it's an interesting it's, set of problems. Interesting yeah, can be fun. Cool. It can also be a huge pain in the ass. That's a very yeah, diplomatic way of putting it. But that doesn't mean it's not fun to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, we actually do have to be wrapping up though. Um. So go ahead and uh, create your own change.org petition. There's not enough yet. There's not enough change.org petitions. Everyone should have a petition for something, whatever they want. Get whatever dream project you want. Force them to remake it because you're right. The world's wrong. And uh, you should prove it by getting a bunch of people to sign a petition because we're in the age of politics where all you have to do is go and sign something and that's good enough. You don't actually have to do any work. It's fine. Send cash. Uh, we're, we're, we're bribable. Yes. <laughs> if you send cash, they'll do it. Um <laughs> You should just you should just make a Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter very clearly is I, we're just gauging interest, and then once you get your millions of dollars, just be like, yeah, we don't want to make it. I'm not going to name any other projects that have felt quite like that uh, <laughs> in the recent past, but uh, yeah, apparently that can work. All right. Anyways, guys, um, find Skullbot Games. Uh, they'll they'll. And then yell at them until they get you in the beta. Just just constantly spam them. Never stop. Every day and every night. Uh, send your uh, DMs to Jesse at twitter.com. And uh, he will... Uh, that's, that's our co-host. I was trying to... We know Jesse. Joke there. That's well, Jesse's a cool guy. No, I, and I realize that tw- at twitter.com isn't really a thing. I don't even know what your, your Twitter is, Jesse. I, think, I don't even know if you have one. But It's... Uh, uh, it's- Self underscore trepanning. Oh, right. Oh, yes, yes, I remember now. Okay, cool. Um, so don't, don't piss off Jesse if Jesse's doing the editing because this this podcast might go live with, like, you know, it's four seconds long saying Jesse is a cool guy is the only line in it. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I, I, I pay him, so uh, I have a little bit of control over what happens. Uh, but, yeah, so, uh, every, anyways, guys, Everyone at home, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this is de- definitely one that, like I said, if you like Binding of Isaac, if you like roguelikes, and you're looking for something that it, you can immediately pick up, figure out what's going on, but then really dive deep into how it's different, uh, definitely check out Gone Viral. Go into their uh, their Discord, bug them about it, get a free copy, play it enjoy yourself um and guys thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't had a chance to yet go ahead and click that subscribe button for uh soundcloud if you're listening to this on soundcloud or itunes i'm not exactly sure at this point what our main hosting service is but anyways (laughs) um you can always find us more on twitter at dread underscore x underscore p because uh the moment we registered the domain name a bot stole at dread xp so we're still trying to get that back hooray the the wonders of working on the internet but uh Skynet has become active, apparently, and currently it is camping your uh, your account. 
Yeah, basically. But yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, that goes for both of you in the podcast right now. Also follow us on Twitter. That's great. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, also just go to dreadxp.com. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for you. Uh, you can go check out my Resident Evil 3, uh, why the demo wasn't great article, and you can leave your own angry comment. I read them all, so you can <laughs> have the joy of knowing you personally hurt me with your words. So yeah, with that, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Bye. Oh, see, that's what we do. We don't go out, we don't go to restaurants, we don't do anything like that anymore here. We just eat with whiskey and with guru, we have a good time, we get entertained. Look at the beautiful smile she has. Huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, little units, huh? And we have a good time eating here together. So much more fun than going outside. No more restaurants, okay? No more restaurants, forget all that. Public gatherings, restaurants, and all this gymnasium out the window. We stay home. Very whiskey, huh? <laughs> you and I have you in my neck. Yeah, whiskey. And you, I have you too. Now I have both of you. <laughs> Look at this picture here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No biting, you've got to get along. <laughs>